This is Beyond Reading the Bible, where we connect you with the living Word. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. My name is Lindsay Kennedy. And my name is Randy McCracken. And we're excited to be talking about genre today. Genre is another factor that we want to involve in our reading of the Bible to help improve and, and direct us and make sure that we're, we're reading the right way. I'm sure most of us can relate to when we're perhaps expecting something to come in the mail and we may be expecting a, a birthday card or, or a letter from a loved one and, and we get the mail and we get so excited and we think that we're opening it and pull out the, the letter and it says to whom it may concern, or, or dear sir, and it has a, a bill attached to it, or right. something we may have forgotten to do, and suddenly your heart sinks, and, and it's not what you expected, and what you then have to do with it is different. <laughs> you don't treasure it, you might put it up on a bulletin board and think, okay, that's something I need to do, instead of something that, that warms my heart. And the last thing you'd want to do, of course, is, is read a bill as if it's a, a love letter, <laughs> or as if it's a birthday card. Or, and so often when we read the Bible, this is a mistake that we can make sometimes as well, is going into the Bible, reading a certain book, expecting it to be a certain kind of communication, a certain kind of genre, and it turns out to be something different. And there can be a little bit of misunderstanding along that process. So that's where genre and understanding genre can really come into play. Yeah, now, if you're an avid reader or an English major, you probably already know what genre is. But for people who might be unfamiliar with the term, it's just, we're just talking about a kind of literature or a type of literature. It's a, a means of communication. It's a way that uh, an author seeks to communicate a particular uh, idea to the people that he's writing to. Uh, we can give lots of examples of different kinds of genres, and Lindsay's already shared some. We can talk about letters or novels, legal documents, poems, etc., etc. And these are just some of the broad categories of what a genre is. And then within a given genre, there are what we might call subgenres. For instance, with letters, we could have a love letter, or we could have a business letter. Or we could have, you know, some other kind of legal letter. Uh, and so there are various kinds of letters. They're all letters, but we recognize them, as Lindsay said, when you open it and you begin to read it. Oh, OK, this is a love letter. This is a business letter, etc. Uh, you know, is the novel we're reading, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? Is it a biography? Is it a love story? Is it a fairy tale? These are all different kinds of subgenres, and based on the kind of literature that we think something is, we react to it. Lindsay, one of my favorite examples of how genre can make a huge difference goes back to an actual historical event in 1939 when some radio personalities got together and decided to do a dramatization of H.G. Wells' novel, War of the Worlds. Now, we all know this is a fictional novel, and the uh, acting team made it clear up front on the radio that they were doing a dramatic reading, and they were doing it in the form of a news broadcast. That was fine for the people who, turned in, who tuned into the beginning <laughs> of the episode, but for those who tuned into the middle of the episode, they actually thought that we were being invaded by Martians, right. and it literally caused a panic in places throughout the United States all because of a misinterpretation of genre. It was fictional, 
but people were hearing it as a news broadcast, and hence they responded differently based on what they thought the genre was. Right, so you have the exact same communication, exact same words, but through simply misunderstanding the genre, you can get it completely wrong, can't you? That's right. And some people wonder why people come up with different interpretations of the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the reason that people do come up with different interpretations. Yeah, definitely. Uh, to give another example along these lines, Lindsay, let's just take how the meaning of a word can be determined by the genre that we think it is. And let's take the word pitch as an example. Now, if you're a baseball fan, maybe you're reading a, a baseball magazine or a baseball manual and you come upon the word pitch, you're naturally going to think of a guy who's a pitcher throwing a baseball. And that would be a natural assumption to make if you're reading a baseball magazine. If, on the other hand, you're talking to someone who enjoys soccer uh, or what the Europeans would call football, uh, and they talk about a pitch, what they mean is what is known as a football pitch, which is the playing surface or the field on which the game is played. Another example of the word pitch changing meaning depending on the genre would be if you were talking to a roofer. The roofer, if he's talking about the word pitch, may be referring to the slope of the roof, depending on the conversation, or he may be talking about the tar-like substance that's used for waterproofing on the roof. So here's the same word, but depending on the particular context and genre in which it occurs, it can have totally different meanings. Yeah, or a musician. Pitch has a very different meaning for a musician. There's another great one. Just bring in... Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so then if this is the case, if one word, using your analogy here, if one word could mean so many different things depending on the context and the genre, then how, how can we find these things? Are there, is there a way that we can identify genres or are there certain characteristics of, of particular genres? Yeah, I think there are. And uh, we kind of notice modern genres very intuitively. I think the challenge comes in when we go back to the Bible to identify ancient genres. Now, some of those genres are similar to our modern genres, but there may be some differences. Uh, how do we identify a genre? Well, usually uh, a genre is composed of certain elements that automatically makes it clear what's being said. For instance, and you kind of gave this example in the introduction, if we're reading a love letter, it's never going to begin, dear sir, or to whom it may concern. If you read a letter like that, automatically you're subconsciously thinking this is not a love letter. Yeah, because, unless you have a very unusual relationship. <laughs> that's right. Because yeah. uh, it's not the normal way for no. a love letter to begin. Uh, similarly, if someone begins to tell a story and they start with the phrase, once upon a time, and they tell the story and it ends with, and they lived happily ever after, we intuitively know that this is a fairy tale. So genres have certain parameters that they work within. And we don't usually sit down and say, oh, it's this kind of genre, it's that kind of genre. We just know it intuitively because we've been raised in this culture uh, and so we understand what the particular genre is without thinking through it. When it comes to the scripture, however, we often have to stop and ask that very question. Mm, it's a very important question that we want to 
being conscious of, or maybe we're, it comes a bit more naturally through time, if, if when we're opening a book, any particular book, what genre am I reading, can really determine, uh, especially in the Old Testament, where there's, mm. it's a little bit less familiar, I think. We're, we're used to reading letters, and we run into letters of Paul and, and other writers, and we think, oh, I know what to do with this. Right. But even the Gospels, that's a unique genre, isn't it? That's especially right. if you get to Revelation, suddenly yeah. you think, don't, I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> what here. Is what this is this genre? Yeah, exactly. So it, it definitely plays a large role in your, just your, even just your basic reading. Yeah, that's correct. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the genres found in the Bible then, Lindsay. And again, we can talk about broad categories of genre, and we can talk about more specific subcategories of genre. And maybe some broad categories would be something like narrative, poetry, uh, perhaps even apocalyptic, you were mentioning the book of Revelation. Uh, but then within these broader categories, there are what we would call subcategories. So within the genre of narrative, we might have what we would either call historical narrative or perhaps prophetic narrative. We would have biography. Uh, other types of uh, poetry, we might have psalms, prayers, Proverbs. Uh, again, within narrative, we're going to find legal material, and on and on we can go. These are just a few examples of various subcategories of genre that we're going to encounter. So just because we come to, let's say, picking one of my favorite books again, the book of Samuel, and we say, oh, this is narrative, doesn't mean that we've done all the work we mm, need to do. Mm. We need to ask the question, okay, what kind of narrative is this that I'm reading? And even which, which chapter you're reading. That's right. Because you'll have some battles where after a battle you have a, a song, mm -hmm. and that song is communicated quite differently, isn't it? If you read that as the same as the narrative, you think, this is a very strange battle, right? Because <laughs> there, there might be some symbolic or poetic uh, emphasis that would be different. Yeah, and a good example of that would be Judges chapter 4 and 5, where Judges gives us the story of a battle uh, with Deborah and Barak as being the leaders there in Israel, uh, gaining victory over the Canaanites through a lady by the name of Jael. And then that battle is celebrated in chapter 5 in the form of a song, mm -hmm. which of course is poetic imagery. And so it comes across very differently. Right, so you want to make sure you're keeping up with, with the author, aren't you? That the changes of, of pace, of genre, and, and so on, that you don't want to go through whiplash. Yeah, that's right. Changing genres, you, you need to keep up, you need to be paying attention for these clues of, of change of genre. Exactly. And just to illustrate this from the New Testament also, Lindsay, and as we're talking about, uh, okay, we've done the job maybe of uh, identifying the broad general genre, uh, but there are a lot of other categories within genres. We might call them subcategories of subcategories, <laughs> not wanting to get too technical though. Uh, but for instance, we would identify the Gospels as narrative, and a subcategory of that might be something like historical biography, since they are about the life and ministry of Jesus. But within that, we can't just stop there, can we? As you say, we mm -hmm. need to keep up with the author, because there are other categories such as parables, wisdom sayings, prayers, beatitudes, healing stories, even genealogies. So these are subcategories within the broader categories mm -hmm. of, of the genre that we have to uh, be aware of. Mm -hmm. Another factor that comes into this whole question of genre is, is literal reading 
and figurative or symbolic reading. That's yes. quite a debated issue, isn't it? And that's often where some of our bigger differences in, in doctrine can come about and viewpoints can come through this particular issue. That's absolutely correct. And it really does relate to this idea of genre. How are we supposed to read a particular type of literature or a particular segment within this mm. type of literature? So this comes into play in, in perhaps the more obvious difference between, let's say, a psalm and historical narrative. Mm -hmm. That to read well, to read wisely, to read the way that the author intends you to read, you're going to read a psalm differently than you're going to read a historical narrative. If the psalmist says, everybody is against me, or everybody wants to kill me, it's not wrong if there are a few people who don't. <laughs> you know, right. It's not incorrect. So that's not to say that we shouldn't take the psalms uh, seriously and read them carefully. And it's not to say that the psalmist or David or whoever is lying, but it's this particular way of communication. If I was that's to right. write a song and say, I'm the happiest man in the world, no one's going to come and say, actually, I think we found someone else. You know? I don't think that's, <laughs> that's misreading the song. It's misunderstanding what I'm communicating. That's right. And so we want to read and listen carefully to the genre, and the, that factor of genre comes into play. Um, that's not to say, again, that everything in the Psalms can just be smoothed out, because mm -hmm. there are some things where the David will say something that really only points to Jesus, mm -hmm. and there will be things like that that, that you can't, Make, you can't smooth out those edges, really just have to say, this is pointing beyond himself. Right. But in many ways, he's, he's speaking in a poetic way, and you just need to recognize that in order to read it well. So that's a less controversial example. Yes. But of course, there are more controversial areas of this sort of literal versus poetic or figurative sure. that come into play, such as, let's say, the book of Revelation or mm -hmm. some of the other books that are known as apocalyptic. They have a lot of symbolism and imagery that really... In some level, it shouldn't be controversial because everybody recognizes that there's symbolism, that Jesus is not really a lamb, and somehow at the same time, he's not really a lion either. Right. But So we know there that that's a symbol. But then the debate really comes into how much of this is symbolism. Is a symbol. And uh, where, where do you draw the line? Because certain people would take, for instance, the numbers of mm -hmm. Revelation symbolically, mm -hmm. where others would say, no, they're literal numbers. So mm -hmm. the thousand-year reign is literally a mm -hmm. thousand years, where others are going to say, no, it's representative of a long period mm -hmm. of time or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So this, this whole idea of symbolism, it can, be very, it can become slippery, it can become difficult. Uh, but at the same time, symbolism, recognizing symbolism shouldn't be something that scares us. We shouldn't say uh, symbolism is bad. I only read literally. Right. That's a little bit, that's an overreaction to, to some of the dangers that are definitely there in, in over-symbolizing things. But that, as we said, that poetry, you can't read it quote-unquote literally. You have to read it in, in following the literary form that is being given to us as Psalms. Uh, same with, with symbolism. We, we need to recognize that the symbolism really is there, and it would be a mistake to read it um, in a very harsh sort of literalism. Um, so we need to read sensitively there. And that's, of course, as we say, why there's so much debate around these things. But it's important to just affirm that symbolic imagery, recognizing that, doesn't suddenly mean that it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. Or it doesn't mean that it's a wax nose that you can shape into any sort of a form that you want it to be. That's right. Um, no one really would, would affirm that on any side of these debates. But the, really what it's saying is it's recognizing that the author is communicating, just as he's always communicating, but he's communicating through a different way, mm -hmm. through symbols. 
So just as one person may communicate through a song, this author, John, or whoever it is, is communicating through figures of speech or symbols. So there is real communication happening there. And if we want to understand the communication, we need to seek out those symbols and what they mean and which, which ones are supposed to be taken more uh, abstract or more um, symbolic, <laughs> figurative. <laughs> and so it, it's one of those difficult issues. And just like as if someone was to hear an old recording from our time in the future, they're listening to us, and they hear us talking about it raining cats and dogs. Yes. The right way, the literal way to understand us would be to say it's raining a lot. Exactly. <laughs> but if you say this sort of hard, I want to read literally or hear it literally, they would actually completely misunderstand us and it would be, it'd be, very, it'd be very incorrect. So we have to walk that line very carefully. We do. And I was going to point out that even within narrative, we can have these types of figures of speech or what we might refer to as idioms. Mm -hmm. And that's where everyone in our culture understands when we say something like it's raining cats and dogs or stop pulling my leg. Mm -hmm. They know not to take it literally. Mm -hmm. They understand the meaning behind it. Well, the Bible has those things, too, mm -hmm. even embedded in historical mm -hmm. narratives. And I can think of one example, again, in the books of Samuel, where it talks about some of David's mighty men, and it said that they had faces like the faces of a lion. Mm -hmm. And I was teaching an adult Sunday school class one time, and a lady raised her hand, and she said, Randy, does that literally mean they looked like lions? Right. Uh, and I had to explain that, no, this was just a metaphor. Mm. You know, this is a, a figure of speech, mm. a way of describing their bravery, their mm. courage. Mm. So even within narrative, we have to be careful. We can't say, oh, well, this is historical narrative. I can take everything right. literally, you know, Yeah. unless we understand that by literally, we mean, as you say, when someone says it's raining cats and dogs, I know that means it's raining really mm -hmm. heavy. That's the mm -hmm. literal interpretation yeah. in that case. So it really can be a bit of a challenge, not wanting to make the Bible more complicated than it has to be to our listeners. But we need to, just like in our own communication, we've probably used metaphors, a number of them in this episode, without even thinking about it. And that you'll have that in all forms of literature in the Bible. So we, we can't put these hard and fast rules even. You know, it would be nice if we could just say, well, this we always read this way. Right. But it's, it doesn't work like that with our own language. So That's right. it's just something we have to be sensitive to. And really just becoming better readers of the Bible. And, and often we can get the help of others when it comes to these sayings and very often the translators have done that work for us that you look at a hebrew expression or a greek expression and in the original it's a bit odd but then in the translation into english they've sometimes smoothed out those difficult um, understandings difficult readings that's exactly and right translated it into a common form of speech or way yeah. of saying it today Okay, so Lindsay, we, we want to give examples here to our listeners as to how identifying the genre can make a difference in our interpretation. Uh, so can you share one with us? Yeah, well, as we were talking about it, we came up with three Ps. <laughs> nice alliteration there. So the first one that I wanted to share is the Proverbs. Now, we need to recognize, I think, that the Proverbs are their own form of genre, really, is that their own genre. And... They're really wise sayings. Proverbs are wise sayings. And they're sayings that summarize, they speak generally to a situation. And they speak in a way where this is normally what would happen. This is the way the Lord has made the world to work. And this is normally the wise way to go about a situation. And we want to read the Proverbs to gain wisdom. And half of that wisdom is knowing when to apply it, isn't it? It's knowing when to apply this particular nugget of, of wisdom. And I think one misunderstanding with Proverbs can come about if we read it as if a proverb is a promise. As in, 
if you do this, it is guaranteed 100% this will result. And I really think that would be a misreading, again, through misunderstanding the genre. The genre of Proverbs, it's a wise saying, it's not a promise, so to speak. So the common one is train up a child the way they should go mm -hmm. and they will not depart from it. And that's something that I think, unfortunately, people in the past have have used it to condemn themselves or maybe even to condemn others. Because right. if you read it as a promise, then if your child does go the wrong way, it's all on you. That's because right. you didn't train them the right way. That must be the answer. And it, it isn't necessarily the answer. It's mm -hmm. just this is generally the way it goes. This is encouraging you to be wise and to pour into your child from a young age and develop them and everything like that. But at the end, it's much more complicated than one little saying. Just like any of our sayings, our proverbs, there's always exceptions, isn't there? That's right. Lindsay, a great example to demonstrate what you're talking about is found in Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. And let me just read them. Verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Verse 5, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Mm -hmm. Now, when you read both of those verses, you're like, wait a minute, which is it? Because mm -hmm. they are clearly contradictory statements. Mm -hmm. uh, and the author wasn't foolish. He knew he was putting these statements yeah. back to back. And the point simply is, is that it takes wisdom to know when to apply which proverb in which situation. They are both generally true statements, mm -hmm. but it does depend on the particular circumstances as to which proverb uh, to apply in that particular circumstance. So it's funny, isn't it, that the proverbs are wise sayings and you need wisdom in order yes. to know when to apply which proverb. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Lindsay, our second P is prophecy. And prophecy is a much misunderstood genre in our world today. Oftentimes when people are speaking about prophecy, they're only thinking of it in one sense, and that is in the sense of predicting something mm -hmm. in the future. And that definitely is an important aspect of prophecy, and that's why no doubt a lot of people tend to think of it that way. But another important aspect of prophecy is that it is a word that was uh, declaring something that was important to the people of that generation mm -hmm. as well. And so oftentimes people make the distinction between prophecy either being foretelling, speaking about the future, or forthtelling, speaking about a present situation where the word of God is coming in, either exhorting or rebuking or correcting some sort of wrong. Uh, and so as we approach prophecy, we have to approach it with these ideas in mind that there's more than one way to read a particular passage. And we have to ask ourselves the question, uh, which is the best way to apply this genre to a particular verse or passage? And perhaps in a future episode, Lindsay will also talk about that the prophets used many different kinds of genres, didn't they? Yeah, I've even heard one person say that, that the prophets, the prophecy genre, it isn't really a genre at all because it's got everything within it, right? They do everything. They use any figure of speech or any, any means of communication to get their point across. Yeah, I think there's exactly. some truth to that. They, they'll just use everything that they can. So that's an example, of, isn't it, where when we think of prophecy, if we think that merely the most popular kind is telling a future, we'll be confused if we open up any of the prophets in the Bible, uh, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the Twelve. There's going to be, more often than not, they're not going to be talking about the future. They'll be talking about their own situation. And even the passages where they talk about the future, it has to mean something to their own generation. So that even understanding their historical context is important there. So prophecy is not just black and white 
predicting the future. It's a bit more going on. That's right. And in another episode where we talk about the order of the books of mm. the Hebrew Bible, we point out that books that we normally consider as historical narrative, like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, are actually contained in that section of the Hebrew Bible called the former prophets. Mm -hmm. And so that gives you a different uh, slant on this idea of the genre of prophecy. Mm -hmm. uh, and clearly these books are not all about prediction, uh, although that element is included in them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then that brings us to our final P, which is parables. That's really a sub-genre within the Gospels themselves. And... Really what's going on with parables, again, a misunderstanding is, I've heard it very often, and there's an element of truth to it, though, which is this idea that, you know, Jesus was, he's the greatest preacher that's ever been around, he's ever existed, because he used some great sermon illustrations, you know, and, and what they mean is the parables is, when we're teaching the Bible, we want to use an illustration that brings a point, makes it clear to someone, but I think it's a misunderstanding to say that's exactly what he's doing with the parables. Really, the parables are not just sermon illustrations to make a complex point simple. In fact, when we read the Gospels, there's two sides to the, the parables, which is, and they explain it in the text themselves, and they say, why is he speaking in parables now? And he tells them, and he says, quoting Isaiah, which is saying in the context is, Israel, the, the religious leaders, they're beginning to reject Jesus at this point, and people in the crowds are rejecting Jesus. They don't really want what he has to offer. They want something else. They want him to be a political leader, or they want him to provide food, you know, multiplying the bread and all sorts. They want the miracles. And so what he's doing is by speaking this way, it's actually not communicating to certain people. <laughs> it's communicating to his followers. He says, those who have ears to hear, and we all have ears, but he says, let them hear. So he's talking about those who have spiritual ears, you know, ears who want to hear. Exactly. He's, he's really calling to his followers, those who truly have ears to hear. And then the rest, they'll hear a saying about a man throwing out seed and they'll think, what is this rubbish? You know, what is this nonsense? What is he talking about? So if they don't have ears to hear, they won't actually gain this spiritual truth that he's going to communicate. So parables, again, that, that's something that that we want to understand as well is it's also there's an element of symbolism to it as well so the the seed represents something the sower represents something and mm -hmm. and so again there's symbolism there and if if we misunderstand it we'll think he's really talking about a story that about a person in the past or something but really it's communicating a spiritual truth through these symbols but it's in such a way where his followers will recognize it and those who aren't following it will just go right over their heads right that's great, Lindsay. Yeah, so those are three examples. And of course, we, if we wanted to go on and make this podcast hours and hours long, we could uh, give many other illustrations within the Bible. But hopefully these are sufficient just to encourage our listeners to understand that as we approach uh, the Bible, we need to be aware of genre. Yeah, we want to be saying, how is it that the author is communicating? Right, The, the Bible, the author, the, the capital A author, the Lord, the Spirit, and the lowercase a author, the human being, mm -hmm. they have something that they want to communicate. But how are they communicating? And that's what we want to get across is everything is communicating. There's nothing here that's being spiritualized away by, by recognizing these other forms of communication. But really, the meaning is found in recognizing the different forms and how they want to communicate. So that's the question we want to be asking. Is what are the statements that are for us? What are the things that's being told to us here? How is it being told is just as important as what is being told. And this, again, of course, is one of the contributing factors to why 
people have differences of interpretation, as we mentioned at the beginning. And so spend some time with this uh, idea of genre. And as you approach your Bible reading, ask yourself the question, now, what kind of book is this? And what uh, particular uh, type of uh, literature is this that I'm reading in this particular chapter or whatever it might be? Uh, again, genre is going to uh, have certain parameters that helps determine the meaning. And when you figure out what kind of genre it is, it's also going to uh, intuitively give certain meanings to certain words. And so extremely important that we consider this idea of genre when reading the scripture. Thank you for listening to another episode of Beyond Reading the Bible. We hope that you'll join us again soon for whatever it is that we come up with next. <laughs>